got your Bible um, or a phone, some device, you'll be looking at the scriptures with us this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 7. Um, we've been working our way through Luke now for the last couple months. Um, and, and so even just last week, what we, what we saw was Jesus um, healing uh, the centurion's servant, right, from a distance, right, that showing us that, that distance and time and space, right, like those are not the things that um, are going to thwart Jesus, um, that the centurion recognized Jesus' authority and asked him simply to heal. Um, and then we see him raising um, a widow's son as well. And so we've recently left uh, the Sermon on the Plain. Now we've had these two miraculous um, stories as we are looking at the life of Jesus, right? Remember, Luke is writing an orderly account, hoping to give certainty and assurance to those who might be struggling. Um, he's writing to those who would say, hey, why has there been opposition? Why has there been difficulty? And he's looking to, to give a clear and concise story um, of the gospel of Jesus, right, from the, the announcement of John the Baptist all the way through um, the, the first couple generations of the church. And so we're going to pick up this morning in chapter 7 and verse 18. The disciples of John, so this is John the Baptist, reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone... Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And what when did you go out and, and what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like the children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So this, this passage, right, we, we see John, and maybe in a light that's a little bit unexpected and strange, right? Like John is the one who has been the forerunner of Jesus, right? 
who, who was announcing, who has baptized Jesus. Actually, if we go to John 1, we have this concise statement in, in verse 29 to just get a sense of how John viewed and saw Jesus. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom the Spirit, you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Right? This is John's testimony of Jesus. That Jesus is the one who was coming after him. That he was the forerunner on behalf of Jesus. That this is the one that we have longed for. We can look in Luke 3 and see that he was expecting the Messiah. And was warning, saying, listen, like God will raise up children right, from stones if you're not going to worship, if you're not going to respond. That he was looking for and anticipating the Messiah. And so it's strange, right, that we have John now asking, is it you? Like, Jesus, like, are, are you the one we should expect, or is there another? Now remember, in, in, in Luke 3, John's in prison. Right? He's in prison because he spoke out against Herod, um, who took his brother's wife. And he said, hey, like, this is adultery. You shouldn't have done this. And so they threw him in prison. And if we look at, at, in Luke 3, at John's message, John had a fiery message. Right? Look at a couple of examples. This is Luke 3. Seven. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized him, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Right? Not a, not a soft message. Like, right? A powerful, right? Like calling to repentance sort of message. Um, he, he tells them in verse 9, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Right? So if you don't bear good fruit, it's going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Look down at verse 17 as he speaks of the one who is coming, the Messiah, he goes, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So you have this hard, um, impactful, calling to repentance sort of preaching and message from John. He is anticipating judgment. Right, that he saw the Messiah coming, right, and he's pulling up the wheat and he's shaking it out, right, and separating the wheat from the chaff, right? Those who will believe from those who won't. And that judgment, right? An unquenchable fire is coming. What we see here from John is that his expectation of what Jesus was going to look like and be and do, even as the forerunner, is not matching reality. That he's expecting Jesus to have immediately come, right, with judgment. To immediately have been separating things. We know that Jesus is already doing that. In all of the message we've seen so far, He's dividing folks into two groups, right? The wise and the foolish, right? Those who will trust Him and follow Him and those who won't. But, but John most likely was expecting something a little more fiery. 
right? Like looking for a, a clear delineation, a more dramatic, fiery judgment and separation that Jesus would be walking with. And so here he is in prison, right? And when you're in a dark place, um, whether that is physically or spiritually or emotionally or mentally, right? Those questions, those doubts start to emerge. And you can imagine him in prison saying, man, I spoke a message of passion and, 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 and went against Herod. And look at where I'm at. Hey, man, is I wrong? Have I missed it? I don't think I've missed it. And he sends some of his disciples to Jesus. Like, have I, have I missed something here? Because this reality isn't what I expected. I just I need assurance. Which is the whole reason right, that Luke is writing Luke and Acts. Look at what Jesus does. They ask Him, right? Are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? Look at 21. In that hour He healed in front of them. He healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind He bestowed sight. And He answered, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind have received their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Why would this be his answer? Right? Like, why not simply say, yes, it's me. Right? Like, I'm the one. Right? It, 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 it goes back to the same reason when the Pharisees are so frustrated with Jesus when he says, your sins are forgiven to the paralytic. And they're just like, oh, like who? that's blasphemy. Who can say that? And he says, which is easier, to say get up and walk or your sins are forgiven? But so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins, I'll show you get up and walk. Right? He's, he's giving evidence and proof that his message is true. It would be easy to say, yeah, it's me. But instead what Jesus does is he just quotes from Isaiah. He is reminding John of the Scripture that he would have already known and loved and trusted. Listen to a few of these passages as we run through Isaiah. The first is Isaiah 26, 19. As they would hope for right, the Messiah coming, here are some of the promises. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Right, This hope of life. We can turn over to Exodus, or, I'm sorry, Isaiah 29. And listen to verse 18 and 19. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. We can continue. We can go to um, Isaiah 35. Beginning in verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Right, this continues in um, Isaiah 42. This continues in Isaiah 61, what a passage that he quotes in Luke 4 that we've read multiple times. Right, what, what Jesus does 
is he is living out and modeling that Isaiah's promises of, of the future Messiah coming are being done. And he shows them to these two disciples of John, and he takes them back and he says, tell them what you've seen. Right? Remind him that Isaiah's promises are coming true. Right? I'm here, and I'm, and I'm doing it. Out of kindness to John, he doesn't mention um, captives being set free because John's not going to be set free. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't wound him with that. He, he doesn't mention that. And so what, what he's doing here is, is, is he is sending back a message of assurance, of hope, of joy, that I am the one you're looking for. And then as they leave, right, he turns back to the crowd that was watching this. Right? And so what we've had so far is in the beginning of Luke, we had these two birth announcements, right? Of, of John and Jesus, and they were just interwoven. We were back and forth between the announcements and the visits and all these things that were taking place. But here's the only time we're going to see John and Jesus actually kind of speaking about one another in, the, in a chapter like this. And so Jesus turns back to the crowds in verse 24. When John's messengers had gone... Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John, right? So they leave, and you can imagine there was some head-scratching, like, uh, John's doubting? Like, what does that mean? And he turns, and he begins to just minister to the crowd and speak about John. And he tells them, listen, this was no ordinary man. Right? This was no spineless, uncertain, incompetent person. This was a bold prophet. Listen to how he describes him. He, he gives repetition here for emphasis. He said, why did you go out into the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind. He's like, said, hey, you went out to the river Jordan. Were you out there to watch the reeds bend in the wind? Right? Yeah. No, you weren't. Were you out there to see um, someone in lavish clothing? No, you could go to the courts to see that. Why would you go out into the harsh wilderness? Because there was a man with a message. It was a prophet of God who was speaking boldly and proclaiming, and you were drawn to it to see and to experience what was taking place. What then did you go to see? A prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus is quoting from Malachi 3.1, um, and it is probably also referencing Exodus 23.20, right? So we have the, the promise that there will be one who comes before the Messiah to prepare the way. And then in Exodus 23, we have the one who would lead the people right out into the wilderness. right As they were led by a pillar of smoke and, a, and, and the fire, they were guided. And if they were with the Lord, they were protected and they were, had a place to be trusted. And if they didn't, there was judgment. right? He's beginning to, to bring back into... Um, the conversation here, as a nation, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to Jesus? We've been told that one would come, and this is John. He is the forerunner. He says, listen, he was the last prophet. John has a unique role here in that he is the last prophet who's kind of standing in between the old age and the new age. He's a bridge. He's a transition from the old to the new. And it's why Jesus will say, Listen, of those born of women, there's none greater. But it, in what I'm in, what I'm bringing in this new kingdom that's coming, even the least is as great as John. 
Right? He said it is significant and it is beautiful and the Spirit will be amongst all who trust and know. He's bringing about something new and wonderful and that John is the bridge from the old to the new here, emphasizing, introducing, preparing the way for Jesus. How encouraging is it that Jesus doesn't shame John or his disciples for his doubt? Right? They, they come and, and they ask him the question. You can almost imagine that there was some trepidation in these two that came and said, John wants to know if you're the one. And then Jesus doesn't like roll his eyes. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't throw up his hands and say, are you kidding me? He doesn't put on a show for the crowd. He hears the question and he ministers and he, and he asks. Listen, John's not alone. Like When we think of John, we don't think of doubt. Right? When we think of Thomas, we think of doubt. Um, but if we go to John 14, prior to, right before the crucifixion, the disciples are all anxious and, 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 and concerned and wondering what is going to take place here. They're not quite grasping what is happening. Even at the cross, right? Um, there was like, oh no, like, have we lost? Right? And so the, the disciples afterwards were in a room, fearful and afraid. Right, that we've seen concern and anxiety and doubt um, and a lack of understanding before. Uh, and this was I guess, 15, 16 years ago. Um, I have just been in a home of a local um, Muslim um, like religious leader. And he has like been weeping over my damned soul. He's like, you're, you're going to hell, is what he keeps telling me. Because you don't believe. And he's asking me these questions, and I, I can see legitimate fear and pain and concern for me in his eyes. And we have a meal together, and, and it was a meal. Carmen wasn't there. She was um, at home. And I'm walking down um, this street in Yemen, um, I, it's one of those moments you have in life where you can just remember all the details because it was such a, a, a striking moment. As I'm walking back to the apartment, it's late, it's still, it's quiet. I, I can think of the stars in the sky and what I was wearing. And I just remember as I'm walking, I'm like, do I, do I really believe? Like, do, I, do I really believe that Jesus is it? That He is enough? That He is sufficient? Because that man was convinced that he's right and I'm wrong. Do I really believe this? Like, do I, and I mean, like, a, one of those where you're like, I'm, I might be the worst missionary in the world right now because I'm having these doubts and these fears and these concerns, and I'm asking, like, do I believe this? Like, enough to know that if, I, if this man believes what I believe, it's going to cost him his life, potentially. It's going to cost him his family, his livelihood, all these things. Like, do I believe this? And, like, the road home wasn't long enough, right? Because I don't have an answer by the time I get home. And I remember in that moment thinking, okay, who do I talk to? Like, who do, who do I say this to? Like, you've sent me overseas, right, to be a minister of the gospel, and here I am having these, like, big fears and doubts and questions. And it was not in a moment that all of a sudden those were gone. But the Spirit was so gracious um, in pretty short order to just minister to my mind and to my heart 
um, and, and to remind me of the depth of the truth, to reveal Himself, to lift my chin, to, to take certainty and surety in the Scriptures, and um, through conversation with, with Carmen and other, right, like that, that it was like, okay, yes, like if it cost me my life, yes, Jesus is sufficient. He is enough. And if my life is cut short, yes, I will stand on that. And yes, I can look at someone and say, even if your kids are removed from your home, even if your wife leaves you, even if it costs you your life, Jesus is enough. He is everything and He is beautiful. But there was a real moment in there where there was fear and there was doubt. And how encouraging is it to us that Jesus doesn't shame John the Baptist here. That what He says is He answers those and He gives assurance and He sustains because John takes his fears and his doubts to Jesus. And he asks the question, is it you? Church, would we take our fears and our concerns and our doubts to Jesus? Is it you? Are, are you enough? Are you who you claim to be? And to trust that His Spirit will reveal that to us. That His Word will give us solid ground to stand on as we look at the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the promises of Jesus, that Jesus doesn't shame your fear and your doubts. And so it means this place has to be a place where we can say, I'm struggling right now with some things. Can I, I, and we're not just like, oh, what are you thinking? Like, of course you believe, you have to believe, you must believe. Like, that we can ask those questions and we can give people space for Jesus to meet them in that rather than for them to have to live under our shame or our burden. Because what, what John is really asking is, is my suffering meaningless? Like he's in prison because he spoke out about the sexual sin of Herod. And if you know this story, John's going to lose his head over this, over more sexual sin. He's going to, and, and Herod's um, basically niece, Stepdaughter, right? Because it's convoluted. Right? Dances provocatively, pleases him, and when asked, what do you want? Her mother says, I want John's head. So the king brings John's head. So can you imagine the scene where John, is they're getting him out of the prison cell, and he's like, okay, what's happening? What's going on? And they're like, uh, the, the woman that you spoke out against, she's convinced the king that um, you're going to die. And so as he's, his last thoughts are, I'm dying over more sexual sin. It wasn't my own. And, and so there, you had to imagine, there could have been a thought of, this is so meaningless. And, and is it really that I'm going to die here in prison rather than doing more good out there? Church, we ask these questions. Is our suffering meaningless? As you think about the struggles and the, and, the, and the toils that you have gone through or that you've watched others go through, whether it's difficult or tragic deaths, whether it's sickness that's chronic, maybe it's infertility, maybe it is financial struggle that you are always behind and you cannot catch up, maybe it is lies about you, right? maybe it's that you fear the future that your kids are going into that it's not as certain as you once thought it might have been, right? that we have had... Um, a level of peace and stability for a while, and now that feels like it's gone. Right? That all of these, all of this suffering, all of these instances, 
we ask the question, like, is something off? Is something wrong? Does it have any meaning at all? Which I hope throws your, your head and your heart back into Ecclesiastes for a moment. Right, that this is the question being asked. Is there anything with meaning? Is, is there anything that we can grab onto or hold onto? And what, is, what does Jesus do for John? He says, look, look at me. He came to me, look at me. I am. Like he sustains him through the Word and through his life and his, and his promises. What we have to be careful of, church, and where sometimes we can begin to believe that our suffering lacks meaning, is if we take expectations we have of God and turn them into promises that haven't been made. Right? Like, God keeps His promises. But John is confused and frustrated because his expectations aren't matching reality. But God has not, not met His promises. It's just that John had misinterpreted something. And so if we believe that we are owed a certain level of security, a certain level of health, a certain level um, of, of number of years of life, if we believe that we're owed a certain number of friends or that people won't speak ill of us, or if we believe that our kids should have as good or better of a future than we had, and God, right, like if we begin to take these things and make them promises from God that have not been made, we can begin to see our suffering as something that would separate us from God. Something that would crush us. God keeps His Word. He keeps His promises. I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and the things that are unseen are eternal. Right? What Jesus is encouraging John with, and what Paul here in 2 Corinthians 4 is encouraging us with, is there is going to be some suffering. But you can trust me there's more at play than you can see. There's more going on than what is seen or felt or grabbed in this world. That I'm preparing something for you. And that church, there will be a day where we will look back at this life regardless of the amount of suffering you've had, difficulty you've had, and say it was light and momentary compared to the surpassing weight of glory that has come to you. He is not saying it was light that it was momentary, that it didn't hurt, right? He's not saying that. He's saying but it will, we will be so overwhelmed with what has been prepared for us that it will feel that way in comparison. He's telling us that. He's saying that to John. John, you're going to have to lose your head. But just wait. Surpassing weight of glory coming for you will make that feel light and momentary. That was legit affliction, persecution, difficulty. And yet Jesus is saying, I'm going to sustain you. I am sufficient for you. He is changing our focus. Right? When, when we are rattled by suffering in this world, it forces us to go, oh, money? It's not what I thought it was. Oh, relationships? Oh, they're not exactly what I thought they were. Security? 
not as secure as I thought it was. Difficulty, more than I want, right? Like, it forces us to go, whoa, and we grab onto something that is solid. That is Jesus. Jesus. That He is what our hearts crave and long for. He's their foundation, right? We go back one chapter. What does Jesus say? Those who come to Me, follow Me and obey Me, they're like the man, the woman who builds their house on the rock. They have this deep foundation. And the storms come, and the house stands. The storms still come, but the house stands. We have a, a New Testament example of this in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is often called the Hall of Faith, right? And it's got all these Old Testament stories of great acts of faith that we all want to write like, applaud, or we hope maybe we could be listed in that at some point. And then it's got that, this interesting passage at the end of it where it says, and then there were those who were sawn in half and who lived in caves and who were, right, like it starts to talk about the difficulty of this life. And it says, and they were those of whom the world was not worthy. It's not that God says, I'm going to applaud those who separate the Red Sea, right, only. Some of them are going to be names that we'll never know this side of heaven, and they were, they were sawn in half, or they lost a head, or they lived in a cave. But they were trusting Jesus that this world, this life isn't their home. And they had their eyes on a more permanent place, on a more permanent thing. They were living in light of that. And that is what Jesus is telling John here. Lift your chin. Lift your chin. Momentary is this affliction compared to what's coming. Hope and peace and joy and security forever because I am the Messiah. So he is now talking to the crowd who's heard this whole exchange. And he says, listen, right, some of you listened to John and were baptized. You prepared yourself and others didn't. Right? You rejected that need. You rejected that need. Look at verse 29. When all the people heard this, the tax, the tax collectors too, they declared God just. Having been baptized with the baptism of John, they were saying, your way of salvation is right and true and we accept it. You're justified. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by them. They were saying, I don't have a need. See, we see Jesus is dividing even here. He says, do you recognize your need or not? If you recognize it, I'm the answer. If you reject it, there's judgment. And so he finishes this section with a parable. Look at verse 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to one another. Right? So he paints this picture of kids hanging out in the marketplace, right? And, and some of them are... And, 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 they're petulant. And they're spoiled. And their arms are crossed. And they're immature. And they're going, I'm not going to play your game unless I get to make the rules. Because we never see kids do this, right? Right? Well, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Because y'all don't play the way I like. See what it's, he says, we played the flute for you, right? A happy song. And you didn't dance. Well then, so, okay, well, so we'll sing a sad song. So that if that's what you want. You don't want the happy so that you can dance. We'll sing the sad, but you didn't weep. He's like, whatever it is that we offered, you rejected. 
And so it's like children sitting there playing and not listening, not enjoying, right? They're, they're, they're petulant, they're immature, they're childish. They want to make the rules or they're not playing. They want to dictate, but they don't want to listen. And the tie-in he makes is John came, right? John came. He was an aesthetic. He didn't, he didn't eat what everyone ate. He didn't drink what everyone drank. And he lived out. And you said, oh, John's a little much. I don't want that. He's got a demon. So Jesus comes, and he's with the people at the weddings and at the meals, and he's drinking and he's eating, and you're like, he's a glutton and a sinner, right? He's like, I can't please you people. He's in the same generation you saw two men come on behalf of God to bring you to repentance in two very different styles, in two very different ways, and you rejected both of them. You can't be satisfied. You can't be satisfied. It is a warning to those in the crowd to say, what is it that you wanted? Your expectations aren't being met. Reality isn't what you hoped it would be, but the promises of God are coming true. They are finding fulfillment. His yes is yes. For John and for us, if we look at this passage, John was saying, where's the judgment, Jesus? Like You were supposed to bring, like, bring some judgment, some division here. Make people know who you are and where they stood with you. Jesus does bring judgment. John's timing was off. Because Jesus is going to go to the cross. And Jesus is going to be crushed. Murdered, killed, what language do you want, right? Mocked, humiliated, spit upon, lied about, betrayed, sham, I mean, all of it. But ultimately, it's the wrath of God being poured out upon him. Judgment being poured out on him. On the innocent one for our sin. For John's sin for the crowd's sin, for those who have rejected Him. right? Like For our sin, it, He is being crushed. Judgment does happen. Just not for the one who deserved it. So Jesus then, right at the cross, it looks like loss. It looks like defeat. And it's why the disciples are going, this isn't what we expected. Reality and expectation are not matching up. And then Jesus walks out of the tomb. He says, I told y'all. told you. And the promise and the offer to us this morning is this, that if we will trust Jesus, if we will follow Him, then we will have sure foundations, we will have life eternal, that when we taste death, we will enter into the presence of God. And though we die, we will surely live. And that light and momentary are the troubles of this life compared to what's coming for us. Or... We'll say, Jesus, I reject that. I'll take care of me. And then you'll face your own judgment. You'll carry your own sin before a holy God. And so judgment happens. It's either on Jesus, on our behalf, or we will pay for it in death and at the judgment seat. Right? He is calling us to this. Look back at verse 23. What does he tell John? Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
He says, it's me. It's not some nebulous God. It is ultimately your determination is what do you say about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is He your rescuer, your redeemer, your savior? Or is He just a good dude? Right? Is He the one who has taken judgment so that you wouldn't have to? Or are you rejecting Him? It's a call to trust. And He ends this section with this. Verse 35. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. He's basically saying, the wise will follow me and they will be shown to be justified. Right? As they walk after and trust me because they will be on that solid ground, that solid rock. And I'll meet their doubts when they have them. And when the storms of life come, they'll stand strong, not because of their own strength or merit, but because of my firm foundation. And there will be a day where all of this life will fade away, and they will have all they've longed for, for all time. Or we can reject and walk away and say, ah, he was a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I don't need him. And we'll face judgment. And we can gain the whole world and eventually lose our soul. So the question for us this morning is this. Who do you say he is? Let's pray. Father, we we just say thank you. Lord, thank you that that you allow room for doubt. That you don't shame us in that, Lord, but that the response is to come to you, to have you meet us in it, to reveal more of yourself and to give us certainty and surety. So God, for those in the room this morning that have doubts, would they breathe a sigh of relief that that's okay, there's no shame in that. But Lord, would their next step be to turn to you to meet them in it? not to flee and to run from You in it. Lord, we are asking for You to give anchors to our soul. Lord, if, if the circumstances of life like John have got us to a place where we're asking the question again, even though we have lived a life of deep trust and faith and, and certainty, God, would You meet us again? Um, would we not assume that everything has been a sham? Lord, thank You that Your Scripture is not whitewashed. It doesn't just give us the ideal expectation, but it shows us the reality of fear and concern and of doubts. And Lord, Your faithfulness to sustain us in, in and through it all. Lord, we want more of You. Lord, we ask that we would all taste and see that You are good and faithful in everything that our heart longs for. Would we worship You in response to this? In Jesus' name.